I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy fathers exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was coming to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Alrighty. Okay. Well, we are in a series, if you have just joined us uh, uh, after not being around for a couple of weeks, we're in a series looking at how Jesus practically uh, trained and equipped his disciples for the task that he would ultimately set before them. He, uh, in Matthew 28, commissioned them and said, go and make disciples. Um, And this was their distinct mission, uh, a mission that's all about bringing people into a life-giving, transformative relationship with Jesus Christ. And of course, to do this, they needed tools, they needed training, they needed understanding, they needed practical experience, they needed to see how it was done so that they could give it a go. Um, The passage that we just read is one example among many of Jesus modelling something in particular that they would need to put into practice in this this mission uh, as they went to make disciples. Because to go and make disciples wasn't just about intellectually engaging people in order to sort of convince them about Jesus. Um, although that's part of it, it's, uh, that, that interaction, that engagement people is part. Go and make disciples wasn't just about walking alongside people in their journey in love and compassion and care, loving them through the ups and downs as an expression of God's hands and feet, of, although of course it is about that too. But it wasn't just about that. Go and make disciples wasn't even just about the proclamation of the message, the declaration, the the words people needed to hear so that they could hear the good news, the gospel, although that's part of it as well. There's all these parts that are true, but it's not just about those things. To go and make disciples, they needed to bring 
to people a demonstration of God's power, his miraculous power. In some uh, books, some writings talked about as signs and wonders that would change hearts and change minds and create a response in people that would never come about through any human interaction or any human effort. Um, now, as we jump into this today, please hear me. This is not a message to say, throw away love, throw away relationship, throw away the telling of the good news, throw away prayer and abiding in Christ and finding people of peace and identifying those who are open and all this stuff we've been, we've been talking about because it's not about throwing away any of that. All of this is, is modeled by Jesus and taught by Jesus and, and encourage, he encouraged his disciples when he did these things and he rebuked them when they didn't. And yet, without the visible, tangible, experienced power of God in the midst of all these things that we're able to do, they would never be able to fulfill the mission in their own strength. And this is not also this is not a message to, to sort of say, well, you're a failure. Jesus and his disciples performed all these sorts of miracles and you can't. What's wrong with you? That is not... In any way, and I hope you hear this morning that that is not uh, what this is about. Neither is it an opportunity for those of us who have experienced more of God's power in our life in these ways to point fingers and go, well, those people just aren't faithful enough or faith-filled enough. I hope that today is an opportunity to say, for each of us personally, to say, God, what are you wanting to do in my heart? What are you wanting to do in, in, in areas of my life where I, I don't fully believe you or trust you, where I trust lots in myself and in other people and things and money and all the, all the stuff of this world, but I don't trust in you completely, who can do all things and has all power. I hope that today is an opportunity to turn our hearts toward God and to be like that man who prayed, you know, I believe, please help me overcome my unbelief. So, Father, we just uh, here this morning as uh, disciples of Jesus, ordinary people, and we recognize that that's exactly what we are. We're ordinary. We're not extraordinary, Father. Um, but you, God, are a God of power and of love. And out of an expression of your great love and compassion, you display your power and your might to release captives and heal and redeem and set free people from the chains of darkness in this world and so we pray you would increase our faith this morning and that we would grow more in love with you because of who you are and what you can do lord jesus all god's people said amen, amen. sounds a bit more like um, when you have a mask on but anyway i know what you're saying so in matthew's gospel uh, matthew 28 the great commission uh, as Jesus ascends, before he ascends, his sort of final words. These words focus on making disciples, baptizing them. That means like a public initiation into the family. Um, training and equipping them to do the same with Jesus. He says, I'll be with you always, right? So it's baptize, bring them into the family, teach them to do the same, and we do this all with Jesus. But there's more than one account of Jesus' life. There's four. Um, and 
there's slightly different great commissions in the other accounts, in Luke, Acts, uh, Luke and Acts written by the same author. The focus is a little more on being Jesus's witnesses, is the term used, but with a very clear message that this being his witnesses is empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Mark's gospel, it's sort of similar, but Jesus says signs will accompany those who proclaim the message. So they're not different missions. It's not like, you know, Jesus said four different things and then Mark said, I think I'll pick that one, and Matthew said, I'll pick that one. But Luke and Mark highlight an element of this mission they're sent out onto that is missed in Matthew. They highlight that without the Spirit's power, we will not draw people into relationship with Jesus. It just won't happen in our own efforts and strength without God's power. This is good news and it's bad news, I think. The good news is that it's not my wisdom, my finesse, my ability, my money, my experience, my intelligence, my all-round wonderfulness and incredible charisma and charm that will help me bring people to Jesus. And that's really good news because I'm not just, just not that much of any of those things and neither are you. Sorry to break it to you. We're not. We're just not that wonderful. The good news is that it's the Holy Spirit who does the work. The Holy Spirit enables the breakthroughs and the conversations. And we can go, oh, thank you, God, that you're not relying on me. I'm relying on you. Read what Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote to the church in Thessalonica. It said, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel, the good news, came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. They're celebrating that the Holy Spirit did the work in their hearts, the hearts of the Thessalonians. It wasn't Paul's wisdom, or Silas's wit, or Timothy's youthful pizzazz that made them go, oh, wow, we get it, we love Jesus now. It was, the pow- it was power The Holy Spirit, a little bit further down, joy given by the Holy Spirit. So this was Paul, Silas, Timothy, ministering to a people in a place called Thessalonica. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, how does that relate to Jesus' training his disciples? Because that's a few years earlier. Long story short, I love this. These guys are third or fourth generation disciples after Jesus. If you follow the history through the book of Acts, and we talked a little bit about this in previous weeks, Jesus discipled Barnabas. Barnabas discipled Paul. Remember, we read about first we read Barnabas and Paul, and then later it switches. Paul and Barnabas. Paul goes ahead of him. Right? Jesus discipled Barnabas. Barnabas discipled Paul. Paul discipled Silas and Timothy. Now they have discipled the Thessalonian Christians, who are now, quote, a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Fifth or sixth generation disciples who made disciples. And we've got reason to believe it kept going. I think this is amazing because what we see is these fifth or sixth generation Christians living out what Jesus taught. And what did that look like? What did discipleship look like? First of all, they say, with words, right? With words, but also with power. It's the words of Jesus. In that scripture, it also says, with, um, sorry, how we lived. We were 
you were imitators of us and the Lord, a model to all, right? The ways of Jesus are important. We so often focus on the things Jesus said and forget to look at how he went about his ministry, how he made disciples, the ways of Jesus, and we're focusing a lot on that in this series, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, we read in Thessalonians, the works of Jesus, at least an element of the works of Jesus. Of course, the works of Jesus also includes his compassion and care, but rarely did this happen outside of him displaying the power of God through the Holy Spirit. The words, the work, the ways, and the works of Jesus. Jesus displayed a divine power. Just a little theological diversion for a second. There's a few schools of thoughts out there when it comes to miraculous uh, things, uh, the, the signs and wonders, the miraculous power of God. A few schools of thought out there. One is that Jesus was not really a human like we were. So all the miraculous stuff he did was because he was like a superhuman. He's a God human. Human kind of, but he was also divine so he could do extra things, right? That's one school of thought. Another is that Jesus was only like us in every way. And so any miracles attributed to him are either myths or sort of extra special because he was a really, really good boy who listened to Jesus and prayed a lot. That's not the technical theological term for that belief. That's just what, you know, one of the schools of thought. You're all a bit dead this morning, am I? Right. Okay. It's like, well, you know, Jesus was pretty much just like us. That's another school of thought. Another school of thought is that we are just like Jesus. And so everything you can do, I can do better. Right? Misquoting of scripture. And we just sort of need to be like Jesus and channel Jesus and let the miracles flow. Let me be really clear this morning. All three of those schools of thought are heretical. They're heresies. And we have to get our theology right here because it informs our practice. Jesus is not like us. We are not like Jesus. And yet Jesus did not do what he did because he was not really fully human. And on the one hand, we have to live in that tension. But then on the other hand, there is no tension because the scriptures unpack it for us. Jesus was fully God who gave up his divine privileges of divinity privileges of divinity and was a man through whom the Holy Spirit worked powerfully and miraculously and that same spirit is given to those who are in Christ Christ. for me this is like right I don't know about you blows my mind and it's incredibly good news on the mission because to do what Jesus asked is impossible unless we have this divine help. It is impossible. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the teacher. Like, nope, can't do it, Lord. Except I am with you always. We do it with him, with his help. So what's the bad news? In four words, we are risk averse. Right? As Westerners, we have become so risk averse that the church has become something, for the most part, very, very different to what we see in the book of Acts, where they were like, we don't have anything to lose here. We just go take risks. Allowing the Holy Spirit to do his thing and work powerfully and open doors for us to step into, it's not safe, it's risky. 
And so I want to look at a number of passages of Scripture today, going to be all over the place a little bit, um, which I think will encourage and embolden us to stop being so worried about what might or might not happen if we invite Jesus to do miraculous things through us and if we might fail and not be so scared of that, but instead go, well, God, what could happen? What could be possible if we took steps of faith? And allowed you to work powerfully through us. Mark chapter 9 that we read earlier, that Francis beautifully read for us, um, has some really, really valuable pointers. I came across this passage uh, a few weeks ago in my reading. I noted it down. I was like, this is is an amazing uh, passage. Here's a situation which needs divine intervention. A boy is possessed by a violent, evil spirit. And the disciples have come across this boy and this family. And clearly they know they are supposed to give this a try. Okay, Jesus said, let's go try and free this boy. And that's going to take a miracle. And Jesus says, um, after they can't do it, <laughs> how long I got to, really, how long I got to do this, guys? Um, you know, how long am I going to have to stay with you? Thank you, Francis, for really emphasizing that point, you unbelieving generation. Uh, Which tells me one thing, though. Jesus expected them to learn to do what he could do. They wouldn't have even tried if if they weren't expected to give this a go. If if they knew that Jesus, like, this is my job, boys. You just leave that stuff to me. Jesus, Jesus, quick, 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 come. Right, they... They were expected to give this a go. And in fact, in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10, which we looked at in depth about four weeks ago, we see this. This is um, where we kick the series off. Jesus sent out his disciples, 12, and then in the next chapter, Luke 10, he sent out the 72 to go and look for people of peace, but also to go and do miracles, to go and heal the sick, to go and cast out demons. And he gave them the authority to do that. So let's have a quick read of some of this again. Luke chapter 9, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. There's a little throwaway, throwaway line there. right? And sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, and then this is what we focused more on last time, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread. Uh, you know, Whoever welcomes you in, I'm paraphrasing now, whoever welcomes you in, stay with them. Who's open to the message, right? Who's, who's, who seems receptive to the message and the messenger, as James reminded us last week. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and what? Healing people everywhere. Then the next chapter, they've come back again and sort of debriefed, and now he sends out the bigger group, the 72. When you enter a town and are welcomed, again, eat what is offered to you, look for who's receptive, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Later on in the passage, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And so Jesus actually expects them to be doing this. And it seems in these passages, it's going pretty well. They're actually doing it. And it's because he's given them authority to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to to actually his signs and wonders through their life. And so in Mark chapter 9 that we read earlier, when they fail, they can't cast the demon out. It seems at first like Jesus is a bit disappointed with them, right? How long do I have to be around? Oh, my goodness, boys. Like, that's, that's the way it first reads. You unbelieving generation. But note that after Jesus frees the boy from the demon, they don't go, well, that 
that was a failure. Um, Jesus, please don't ever ask us to do that again. What do they say? I don't have it up on the screen, but what, what do they say? They say, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Jesus, we couldn't get, tell us why. Which tells me that they felt secure enough in his love not to feel condemned because they couldn't perform, but just realizing we have more to learn. I don't want you to miss this. They felt secure enough in his love when they failed, when they couldn't do it, not to feel condemned and like you better just pick new disciples. But just to go back to Jesus, securing his love, saying, help us learn for next time. Do you feel like Jesus is disappointed with you because you're not good at sharing your faith or you're not good at praying in public? or you haven't got enough faith to believe that God could heal, or maybe you don't even feel like you're giving him your time and devotion? Do you feel like Jesus is disappointed with you, or do you feel secure enough in his love that you can go back to him and say, Jesus, teach me, help me, show me, I want to do better. Think about this. Why did the disciples see this occurrence as something to learn and get better and not say well obviously we can't do this it's because jesus was training them not to get it right on day one but to try and maybe to fail and then to try again and then get it right and then to try again and learn along the way and grow in the process that's exactly how he was discipling them They weren't scared of failure because he was not rejecting and condemning them when they failed. And the key lesson, I think, in all of this is that he was after their obedience, not their perfection. He gave them authority bit by bit. And he was after just go and have a go. Not get it right, otherwise you're a failure. Failure's okay, but I want you to be obedient. Practically speaking, what that looked like is that he gave them a bit more authority bit by bit. Um, at first, it was watch me. It wasn't like Simon and, um, what's his brother, Andrew on the, on the seashore, hey, come be fishers of men, and by the way, go heal that sick person, right? It was like, watch me first, and then a little bit down the track, middle of the gospel, somewhere around there, now I want you to have a go. Try, get it right, try, fail. Then the authority begins to grow. Luke chapter 9, I give you authority to go heal the sick. That's to the 12 disciples, right? Matthew, um, uh, Peter, um, James, John, Alphaeus, those, those guys. Luke chapter 10, the next chapter, the 72 are sent out to do this. So what's happening? The authority that he is dishing out is growing bit by bit. Um, why, who are the 72, do you think? I think this, and a, a number of others would, would agree with me, I hope, um, because the, the, the 72, it, it's, it's not just a random number picked out of anywhere. But Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, right, in pairs. That's good news. We never have to go alone. What's 12 disciples in pairs? How many pairs is that? It's a bit of maths, right? Six, right? If each of those pairs had 12 disciples, 12 learners, trainees under them, how many new disciples is that? Six times 12, for those of you who don't like maths, 
72. They're now training others. They now have the authority not just to um, go and heal the sick, but now to do what eventually the Great Commission would say, teach these others to do the same as I've asked you to do. And so as the 12 are learning and being given more and more authority, their, their authority is growing as Jesus gives it to them. But then guess, have a guess what happens in between Luke chapter 9. I hope you're following me here. I know this is Luke chapter 9, the 12 are sent out. Luke chapter 10, the 12 with their disciples, the 72 are sent out. What do you think happens in between that would cause Jesus to go, bit of authority here, bit more authority here? Have a guess. What happens in between the beginning of Luke 9 and the beginning of Luke 10? Do you think it's a big success story? It's the passage we read earlier. It's them failing. Mark chapter 9 is the end of Luke chapter 9. The demon-possessed boy who they couldn't help. They had to fail and learn from that failure to step to the next point in their journey. They had to fail. They had to go and find their limitations and then come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, we need your help. We need your power. When we pray for healing, when we pray for a miracle, for God to do something we can't, when we go and we try to share our faith, we're not expected to get it right all of the time. We're expected to try, to start small, to take a risk and know that when we fail, Jesus isn't shaking his head going, she's a useless disciple. He's out of the club. That's not his heart. He just wants us to keep learning and he wants to keep helping us. And it's so encouraging to me that even Jesus didn't always click his fingers and a miracle happened like that. The chapter before the demon-possessed boy, this happens. They came to Bethsaida and some people, uh, if we go to the next slide, um, brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. That's code for Jesus prayed and it didn't fully work. Right? He prayed and it's, there's half of a healing. Come on, Jesus. Shouldn't you get it right the first time? No, 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 no. It doesn't always happen right the first time. There's another passage where it says Jesus tried to heal people and he couldn't because of the, the hard hearts in that town. When we pray, we don't know that it's necessarily going to unleash the, and unlock the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we are so risk averse that, that we never want to pray because we're scared it won't work or it's, we're scared that God won't respond or won't respond how we think, we, we want him to. Do we just give up or do we go, you know what, I'm not called to get it right. I'm called to be obedient. And sometimes that involves taking a risk. I'm not focusing in this message on exactly the sort of things that we should believe God for and we should pray for and step out in faith to do. Um, but all I know is that in the book of Acts, we see things like Peter walking past and his shadow healing people. And we go, well, I'm about as far from that as you could possibly be. But remember, this is not the Peter of Mark chapter 1 or Mark chapter 2. This is Peter down the line, trained by Jesus, lots of experience. He tried and he'd failed. And then eventually more and more authority until God was doing stuff through this ordinary man that no person had ever seen before. 
Authority is given bit by bit. Let's not start with something massive. Let's start small, but at the same time, not so small that it requires no faith or requires no risk. We can pray for healing from afar. Maybe a small step of faith for you is to offer to pray for someone by laying a shoulder on their forearm or their shoulder, whatever's appropriate, and actually ask Jesus, Lord Jesus, please heal. Amen. Maybe that's a step of faith. Maybe that's easy for you. You do that all the time. And so something a little bit further is a step of faith for you to ask God, you know, and because God's giving you that little bit more authority. We can pray for what Paul called a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, just a fancy way of saying, God, I want you to speak into this person's life that I'm with. Please give me a scripture or something that is going to encourage and bless or challenge or build them up and listen to God and speak what you think he's saying. That takes a risk. We might get it wrong. We can pray for anxiety or depression or worry or pain or trauma to be taken away from someone in Jesus' name. Whether that sounds scary or doable to you, start with whatever takes a bit of faith. Not that's really, really comfortable. Remember the context of Jesus giving his disciples authority to heal and do do miracles is on the mission as well. He's sending them out to bring the gospel to people. So maybe the the thing to step out in faith for you is asking God for opportunities to pray for a non-Christian. God, just open this up to me and then look. Maybe you could be open to praying for the person at the checkout who you strike up a conversation with and then they tell you about their recent diagnosis or they tell you about their kid's soccer injury. Hey, could I pray for you? If not, if that's like, way too scary that's okay what is a step of faith for you maybe it's being open to praying for the person in your life group or sitting next to you at church i think the question for us today is where is our faith is it is it in other things or is it in him the one who holds the power we tend to believe that god can do things that we've seen him do right it's like well i've seen god heal so i can pray for healing but we're not so sure about you know praying for God to open up doors to share faith. Or we we go, God, I've seen you give incredible faith and strength to someone going through a trial. And so I'll pray for that. I believe you can do that. I've seen it. But we've never really seen God take away the thorn, take away the sickness or the illness. So we we don't pray for that because we, we just can't see that. What is it that's a little step of faith for you to pray for to take that risk? The man in our reading today, again, he said, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. One of the last things Jesus said to his disciples was when Thomas believed he was alive because he could poke his finger in his side and he could see the scars. But Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. What kind of sign or wonder or miracle have you never seen? But God is saying to you this morning, I want you to believe, not because the miracle itself is the goal, but because God wants to show us and those we are pursuing with his love, in his love. He wants to show us that he is good and he is able and willing to do all things those he loves i want to finish this morning by just making sure that we don't misunderstand the goal here that it's not about our faith it's not about our ability 
Um, if it's with Jesus' authority that we do these greater things, we, we, we don't have to try and be Jesus. It's Jesus who has the power. And so all we need to do is cultivate the connection to Jesus, be willing to step out in faith, in obedience, as we remain in his love, and then recognize it's his power. Cultivate the connection with him. Be willing, but go, Jesus, it's your power. And so on that note, before we sing a beautiful song called Jesus Strong and Kind, because that's who he is. He's not just kind, he's strong. He's not just strong, he's kind, powerful and compassionate. Before we sing this song, I want to finish with a clip from The Chosen TV show. How many of you have been watching The Chosen? Wow. You need to watch this show. <laughs> um, the guys are just getting the clip sorted because it didn't work on the system, but ho hopefully it works. Um, I, I need to warn you, this is a confronting clip. So the clip is of um, some of Jesus' disciples. That's uh, Matthew and Thomas, and then there's Mary and Ramah, and, um, and then Simon the Zealot comes in later with his dagger because he's all you know, ready to fight. But, it, but there's a demon-possessed man who comes onto the scene, and you see this man violent, um, and, and, and speaking like someone who's, who's possessed it. And so if, if, if that's something that would be really, really confronting to you, um, please feel free just to, to take a moment and go get a drink of water. Um, I, I, it's, a, it's a bit confronting. But this, for me, is the most powerful scene in this whole show because I want you to note the incredible power of Jesus and then his compassion. Okay, let's watch the clip. Rima. Rima. Are you okay? answer to that name mm, they told me about you did they all seven of them my name is mary it was always mary oh the stories they had <laughs> you're scared what's your name belial Spawn of Oriac's fifth night of legion. What's your real name? That smell, it's on all of you! What did your mother call you?
it's all right. Welcome back. I know. It seemed like it would never end. What is your name? Well, it's over now. Let's get up, Caleb. I don't know about you, but um, when I first saw that, uh, and you may have missed it, because I know it's uh, small subtitles, but Jesus simply says, out, out of him. If the music team can, can join us, and um, I'm going to lead us in this song, Jesus Strong and Kind, but that is the power of Jesus. It's, um, he only needs say a word and the strongest force of evil or sickness or um, bondage or, or struggle can be removed like that. And sometimes he doesn't do it and, and we don't always know why. But that is the power of Jesus. And then, of course, he's not just powerful, he's compassionate. And he comes and he says, it's over. And so we just want to believe that, you know, even in a word, Jesus could say a word, could speak a word, or, or just even in a prayer of just saying, Jesus, you do what only you can do, that chains would be broken and uh, sicknesses could be healed and, and, and struggles that have been going for, for years and years and years could be removed because of Jesus, who is strong and kind. Father, I pray that you would increase our faith, not in ourselves, because we have nothing to offer, but in your incredible power. You are the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. You spoke and the whole universe came into being. We trust in you and in your holy power.